Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where it, it, it's really not our intention to make this an every other week show, but somebody seems to be for, for, somebody seems to be forcing us in that direction. Last week was not my fault. Yes, it was. Why was it my fault? You said there weren't a lot of stories, and you just weren't feeling it, so you'd rather we skip it. Uh, and our son graduated high school. Well, there was that too. Yeah, but that happened the day before. Oh, wait, yeah. Well, it happened <laughs> on that day, but like we still could have done it. We could have done it earlier, but you're like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. Because our son was graduating high school. I was having an emotional moment. And then the, the week before that, we had a show, but the week before that, we didn't have a show. <coughs> we have a show this week, but we're not going to have a show next week. Next week's your fault. <clears throat> no, it's my fault because I'm going to be going somewhere, and without me, the podcast just isn't the same. Yeah, we're going to do it for the next couple of weeks without you, and it'll be awesome. <laughs> so, thanks. What do you mean, awesome? It's just not going to be the same without It will me. not be the same without him. That's true. It won't be the same. <laughs> it will be better. No, it won't. I swear. Okay, separate corners, you two. <laughs> We have to get forward in this podcast because our in-studio audience are all looking for their dinner. Yeah, we, we're we recording early right about the start of dinner time for the audience. So they're just going to have to suck it up. So th- this week we had the return of street racing and the return of Formula One to Monaco. And I got to say, it was nice to be back in Monaco. I do like the weekend. I like everything that goes on. The visuals around the weekend are always fantastic. I mean, it's always amazing to watch the cars navigate through the streets of Monaco. It really is. It really is. Um, But unfortunately, the racing is not always great. And while you may have thought that this year's race... While it was not exciting and it went on and on and on forever with nothing happening, the reality was it was one hour, 38 minutes and 56 seconds, which makes it the fastest Monaco Grand Prix ever, beating the previous record set in 2007 by almost two minutes. A lap and a half. Wow. (laughs) I mean, to put it in that perspective, it was a lap and a half faster. It was. However, absolutely no pass occurred There was for one. an hour and a half. There was one. Oh, was this when Mick Schumacher passed Mazaspam? Actually, no. I'm sorry. There were two. Because at some point, he got ahead of Schumacher again. Oh. And I don't understand that. And I think... Well, I think at least at the beginning of the race, there was like Perez made like some rocket shot up through the formation too there were a couple of potential ones right in that first lap but after the first lap there was like nothing all it I was know, pit lane strategy it was all about pit lane strategy and whether or not your wheel nut came off yeah we'll talk about that later um so i have advised that if you haven't seen the monaco grand prix you could possibly watch it in double time yeah. Or take a really good nap. Yeah. The The thing is with Monaco, truly, when we have the best races in modern Formula One in Monaco is when we have changing weather conditions. Exactly. 
you need the the disruption with weather Mm -hmm. you need something else to happen but the fact that we had so the statistic going into this race was that nine out of the last 10 monaco grand prix had a safety car and this one did not so now we have two grand prix out of the last 11 that have not had a safety car and that's the other thing that will shake things up is safety car strategy yeah but that's it it's processional Nico Rosberg in the lead up made the comment that 70% of the work is done on Saturday. And I think that's a that's a valid assessment. It's just it's it's a beautiful weekend. It's a historic weekend. I was sad not to have it last year. You miss it when it's not there, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean I enjoy that race. So, one of the things I got to kind of wonder and I think that's what the banner was as they came around to uh, Portal, which is the, the curve at the entrance to the tunnel. There was a banner there. One of the things, and we talked about this a couple of years ago, there is a development going, there is development happening in Monaco. They are extending the land, they're further filling in the harbor to extend the land area. Correct maybe hopefully you know prince albert if you're listening consider including some modifications in the track as part of that development that you know the track widens a little bit allows for some significant braking and some passing zones to be created use that fill to some good advantage yes yes please Draft your expansion and read and development area around one weekend a year when you race on your streets. That seems completely logical okay. in civil engineering. We are talking about Monaco, though. Where you think that logic does not apply? Um, no, it's, it's, it, it's the part of the world, well, other than some of the more oil rich portions of the middle east it's a part a part of the world and probably one of the few parts of europe where money outweighs logic well yes i can see that i mean they do have more dollars than cents occasionally but i think that one of the things that is very unique about monaco is that they are fairly fiscally responsible Despite the fact that there's stupid amounts of money there. Well, that's the thing is they have those stupid amounts of money to make investments like this. I mean, the, the put her down. The truth is, and, and you, you don't really get to see it watching Formula One on TV, but... Most of Monaco is like hills and cliff sides that they have hung buildings off of and dug tunnels through mm-hmm. in order to have this town that anywhere else in the world, they'd be like, yeah, no, we're not building there. Are you nuts? Because it is a principality and that's the land they have. And they have a lot of money to do all of this stuff. Yes. Yes, they do. But they are not building islands in the shape of the map of the world, which is Yet. which is off Yet. the coast of some of the oil-rich nations. Mm-hmm. 
And yet the oil rich nations can't spend money to build a decent racetrack for Formula One. Well, just saying. True. But they also have a lot of land that's flat and dusty. Yeah. So on to other news. So word came out this week that one of Sergio Perez's bodyguards, um, and he's got several, and they're assigned to various members of the family, and and, uh, one of the bodyguards assigned to Sergio's brother Antonio um, was... Um, they're saying it, it, it's a robbery. It sounds more like a carjacking attempt in Guadalajara. Hmm. Um, the, the attackers, well, the bodyguard was shot uh, trying to um, prevent the carjacking from occurring. Um, apparently, he was in a Jeep Wrangler. There was another bodyguard following in a car behind. We don't know if Antonio was there, um, but there was an attempt on the Wrangler one of the bodyguards was shot, um, and apparently the suspects are now in custody, according to Sergio Perez. Um, he did say that uh, the bodyguard who was injured is in good condition. Um, no word on, like I said, we, we don't know if Sergio's brother was there. Uh, it doesn't sound like he was injured if he was there, um, but yeah. That is so wild. I, you'd guess I just never thought that the Formula One drivers' families would have necessarily needed bodyguards, but who I mean, knew? it's not like they're in Rio or not in Rio in uh, Sao Paulo. Thank you. See, he's useful. Sao Paulo, where we normally have problems with these things. I know it was a unique location for this to have yeah. happened. I'm sure COVID was the reason. Definitely was COVID. Speaking of COVID, oh, and we didn't get to talk about this last week. We were going to talk about this last week. Um, but our kid graduated high school. Yeah. And mom was tired. So Emotional. when we last had a show, we mentioned that there was a rumor that Turkey was going to get canceled. Correct. With no replacement. Correct. Because um, it was on the UK's red list. Correct. Well, in fact, it has now officially been canceled. It was announced two weeks ago now. Not last week, but the week before. Fastest on and off the calendar ever. Yeah. Um, instead, what uh, Formula One is going to do is uh, the French Grand Prix is being moved up to June 20th, which m- means it moves forward a week. Um, and Eric Boulier's already come out to the ticket holders and said, yeah, we're sorry, but this was the best thing and we'll accommodate tickets. And if you need a refund because you can't make it the weekend before, we'll take care of that for you. It's, it's cool. We'll handle it. Um, but French Grand Prix moves up to June 20th, and now there are going to be two races in Austria, back-to-back, the first one on June 27th, which was the original date for the French Grand Prix, and a second one on July 4th. Okay. Um, Which, unfortunately, means that Roman Grosjean's test, which was supposed to happen on... um, Well, first he was supposed to demo the, the car... The weekend of the French Grand Prix on June 25th to the 27th, and then a, a full-on test on June 29th. The demoing that was going to happen at the French Grand Prix will now not happen, but Roman still will get his test. Okay. So that's still happening. He still gets to go behind the car, or uh, behind the wheel. Um, 
One of the things that came out of Barcelona, though, changing wheels here, changing topics. Okay, we were in France, then we were in Austria, then we, you know, canceled Turkey. A little bit of controversy. Now we're going to Barcelona. A little bit of controversy coming out of Barcelona. Um, There were some questions, um, particularly Lewis seemed to have indicated that it looked like the tail wings on some cars were flexing. Ferrari. Alfa Romeo. We're flexing. Red Bull, Ferrari, Alfa Romeo. Now, before you say, well, that's the, the DRS. It's supposed to do that. It's the little flap. The mail flap is... is <laughs> um, so. They can open up the mail flap and they can get 18 miles per hour. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. The whole top of the wing. Some portion of it appears to be moving. Now, outside of DRS... You're not supposed to have aerodynamic bits on a vehicle moving around. There is some level that's allowed for like the T-wings because of vibrations and that kind of stuff. But under aerodynamic load, which is what the argument is, under aerodynamic load, you cannot have components of the car moving. And you can't turn around and adjust aerodynamic components while driving the car other than DRS. Okay. So the FIA currently does some level of testing around this. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to have flex wings or wings with too much aero deflection if you want to go the, the, the science-y route in describing what this is. However, it seems that some teams have found a way around the testing. So let me guess. They probably test when they're stationary and somebody puts their thumb down on top of it and goes look it doesn't move and therefore it's not a flexi wing but when it's going at 186 miles per hour it suddenly flexes well that's a cent that is the very simplified version of how the test is supposed that's to the work. way i read the technical regulations i read the uh, technical regulations for dummies book the the only correction there <laughs> is that that deflection test is really what what it's called that deflection test the force that they press on it with the thumb is supposed to be equivalent to the aerodynamic force that's experienced at 200 some odd miles an hour as opposed to just bob sticking his thumb and going yep didn't move we're cool i bet it's bob sticking his thumb on it and saying oops it doesn't move (laughs) no it's not bob it's ross braun it's ross braun it's ross braun's thumb it's well, the Ross rule. No, actually, because we're in Europe and because they're supposed to be very precise with this, it's a German named Dieter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he knows, the, or, or everybody thought he knew the appropriate amount of pressure to apply to the wing to simulate the aerodynamic downforce that's or the aerodynamic forces that are experienced on that wing at 200 plus miles an hour to make sure it doesn't move. Well, it sounds like apparently he doesn't do it right. Oh. So there are changes he is to fired. Yeah. There are changes to the tests that are coming. They haven't happened yet. However, some of the teams have acknowledged that yeah, we might have been taking advantage of that whole thing. And it has to do with how the... And, and, I, and I don't fully understand the details of how this works. 
but it has to do with how the rule was written and how the test was performed. Somebody figured out a way around this. Adrian Newey. More than just Adrian Newey. He was probably one of them, but there were others because, as you mentioned, it's not just Red Bull that's running into this. Ferrari has acknowledged that, well, yeah, we were doing it too. And um, Frederick Vasseur over at Alfa Romeo is kind of livid that they're going to change the rules to to make this illegal. Okay, but wait, <laughs> let's let's uh, clarify that. It's not change the rules to make it illegal. It's change the testing so that they adhere to the rules. Well, it's it's a combination of the testing, and there is some rule piece that allowed them to make a modification that allowed them to get around the testing to allow the wing to flex. And where the issue, why Frederick Vasseur is so ticked off, although Red Bull is a little ticked off about this too, is that the estimate is to redesign and re-engineer the rear wing to be in compliance and make sure it passes the test will cost in the area of $500,000. Ouch! When you're already running under a cost cap. Ouch. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't try to cheat. No, this is Formula One. It's not about whether or not you try to cheat. It's whether or not, how well you're avoiding getting caught. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be getting caught. That's the long history here. It's not about, everybody's cheating. It's how well they're they're managing to avoid getting caught. See, this is the thing. If you don't let, run in front of Lewis, Lewis wouldn't have noticed. Lewis wouldn't have seen the it. <laughs> Therefore, yeah. if Lewis is in the front, hey, you this guys, doesn't look right. Something tells me that's not right. So, yeah, the new test is expected to come uh, probably in France. And there's a little bit of a grace period that is supposed to happen. Now, like McLaren is upset that there's this grace period coming. Um, I, I I at least agree with the grace period. If you've got to redesign your entire wing to make sure it's legal, you, you, you got to give them at least a couple of races. But there is the possibility that we're going to see um, some significant challenges coming down for Azerbaijan. That could be fun. All to the stewards about, hey, the wing's moving too much. You need to go check this out. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens in Azerbaijan. But there may be some protests coming. Um, along the line of the cost cap and the concerns and everything that, that's going on. So next week, there is scheduled uh, a te- uh, Pirelli tire test of the new 18-inch tires. Mercedes was supposed to run that test. Okay. They backed out. Oh. They backed out because even though they were getting a $400,000 credit against the cost cap to offset the cost of running this test, um, they decided that thanks to the damage in the car to the car in Imola and the bill for that and all of those repairs, that financially it didn't make sense for them to participate in the test. Wow. So they've backed out of the test. Wow. So keep in mind how these tests run. So the test was supposed to run at Paul Ricard. Um, 
normally, especially when you're talking in a 23 race season, uh, the team would plan to use mechanics from their demo or heritage car staff to cover for the regular race day uh, folks. Those people don't come under the cost cap because their usual day-to-day work does not involve the current race program. They're also allowed to contribute some days to current activities, but if that goes over 10% of their hours, then their whole salary comes under the cap and thus gets allocated to the annual spend. You add on top of that quarantine requirements on return to the United Kingdom, it makes it even more complex because you got to pay these guys for the quarantine time, that they're down. If these folks were also helping out to deal with the damage and, and, and personnel shortfalls around making sure that those repairs got completed on time, all of that now adds up and it pushes potentially these folks, their salaries into cost cap territory. So if they were using 9% of these people, right, then they stay out of the cost cap and it's fine and dandy. But if, for example, their salary was 100,000 pounds a year, mm-hmm. and okay, so 9,000 pounds becomes not, that's 9%, that's not a problem. But now all of a sudden, if they get to 10%, it's the entire salary, even though they're only using 10,000 pounds. Yeah. So now you got a whole person that just costs you an extra 90,000 pounds on your cost cap. There's one other thing. And this, because you, you have read the, tech, uh, read the sporting regulations, rather. I did read all of that. I didn't read the Four Dummies version of the sporting regulations. Did you look in the appendix of well, the sporting regulations? Naturally, because all of the cheating happens when you read the appendix. So then you know all about the power unit supply parameter. Oh. Or perimeter, rather. Oh, yes. It's a little-known reference. But it's so important. Why don't you share with everyone? Especially when I didn't read the whole manual, whatever. Yeah, you need to share it with, with David so that he's, you know, caught up with the rest of us that have read the uh, the power unit parameters. Perimeters. Perimeter. Perimeters, sorry. My copy had a typo. So basically it states that the an, the teams or a teams annual power unit leasing bill covers two cars for the race season plus up to 5000 kilometers of testing. Okay. See where this is going here. Uh-huh. Additional power units or spares required to replace units out of service due to accident damage or other cause induced by the competitor will be outside the power supply perimeter and will incur additional charges. So what that means is that uh, the power unit leasing costs that the teams declare in their annual uh, expenditures um, includes only 5,000 kilometers of testing. If you go above that, the extra power unit costs have to be added to your spend, pushing you ever closer to the cap limit. So Mercedes already did three days of testing in Bahrain two short 100-kilometer filming days, and two days of 18-inch tire running for Pirelli at Imola. It still has to do a one-day tire test in Budapest, and then the Abu Dhabi test after the race. If the team had run at Paul Ricard for two days next week, it would have exceeded 5,000 kilometers for the year, triggering extra power unit costs that would then be added to the total spend for the season moving them closer to the cost cap when they've already when they're already in the hole because of the damage to Valtteri's car. Yep. 
you know, I read those regulations and that specific appendix um, prior to Valtteri binning his car. Um, so that had not struck me as being quite so damaging, but the fact that we have to balance a binned car and mm -hmm. these, these mileages, that's very, very important. But this is something that I think Pirelli needs to pay a little bit more attention to. Oh, yeah. Because if Pirelli's pushing for more tire tests... Then they need to offset all of the costs. Well, well, not just all of the costs, but they need to be watching for these mileage limits when it comes to testing as well and figure out a way to, to come up with some exemptions around that. Because technically, these tire tests are not supposed to provide much in a way of performance data for the teams. Mm-hmm. At least around car performance. They're supposed to be using older cars and, and all of that. Yeah, you might get some information on how the tires will handle. But outside of that, it's not really for the benefit of the teams. Exactly. And that, I think, is part of where we need to get honest about testing and other things that don't. I don't think on their surface should necessarily apply to the cap. Yeah. And, and that's something that, that Formula One's going to need to figure out as it learns to live with a, with a cap, with a budget cap. Well, I mean, this is the first time that they've ever actually had to have a budget. No, they've had to have a budget. It's just the first time that they've had a limit on their budget. Well, that's the thing. They've always had a budget. Well, yeah, but there was never the... Don't, you know, that you couldn't spend stupid amounts of money on different things. I mean, were there not seasons where there was a new power unit that showed up at every race for some teams? Um, there was an entire generation that it was a new power. It was a power unit that was used for practice sessions, a power unit that was used for qualifying, and a power unit that was used for the race. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there was a third car, too. Yes. All of those things. I mean, we have definitely gotten into conservation of cash. Mm -hmm. And that was in addition to between races, there was constant testing going on. Yes, unlimited testing. Mm -hmm. So, as we mentioned earlier, the Monaco Grand Prix was this weekend. And let's face it, it was a bad weekend for was not so many levels it was not a highlight of their their trip through formula one now actually i was going to say i won't say this is their worst weekend in monaco but actually in thinking about it it probably was uh worse than the year bad. that they screwed up the pit stop on lewis and lost him the race well okay to be clear it lost him the win not the race. He still came in second place, and they brought both cars home. Okay. Yeah, this they uh, did not do that. Th this is probably the first time that Mercedes has not had a podium in Monaco since, what, 2014? Mm -hmm. If not longer than that. It's been a while. I mean, th this, this was a bad weekend. Now, some of it was a car setup issue. And according to Toto Wolf, he says that uh, 
for qualifying, the team did not provide him with the right car. Um, now, what he's specifically talking about is they struggled to get the setup right. Mm-hmm. And this was coming specifically out of qualifying because really with Monaco, it's qualifying is the important part. Um, they were unable to provide Lewis with a car that would give him enough grip and allow him to generate the temperature that was needed to have the grip he was looking for to have confidence in the car. And that's why Lewis struggled so much on Saturday and really went nowhere on Sunday. Okay. And at least that explains why, because once you know why, you can correct it. Mm -hmm. That's important. Now, clearly Lewis is rather upset about the strategy situation as well. Yes. Um... From what we have heard from his comments so far, because he was asked specifically if there were there were takeaways that he had coming from this race and coming from this weekend. And his response was, not for me, but there are for the team. Oh. Um, so this is probably the first time in a very long time that we've seen Lewis Hamilton pissed off at his team. What is so funny to me, and not funny, haha, just funny, odd. Last week, or not last week, last race, mm-hmm. we were praising yes. the strategy of, of Mercedes and the fact that Lewis has to have blind faith in that tra- strategy. When they come in and say, you're going to catch him in the last five laps of the but race. He doesn't always have blind faith in that No, he does not. He argues with them. But in general, when they pull out some of these, like, Honestly, that's a hard one to swallow. You're going to pull me in when I'm two seconds behind the guy. I'm now going to be 28 seconds behind him. And you're telling me I'm going to pass him in the last five laps of the race. That's some blind faith. And then he goes into this one. He has the blind faith and he comes out behind Gasly. And he's like, why am I still behind this guy? Yeah. So I get it. But... Monaco is its own beast. I mean, we just got to acknowledge that it's its own beast. Shake it off and go back to it next race, which is Abu Dhabi. Next race is not Abu Dhabi. It's not? I thought that's what they were saying. Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Ah, wrong A. Very different place. Wrong A. Completely different part of the world. I was thinking in my head the Mario Grand Prix. A lot of money involved there too, but... I I was thinking Mario Grand Prix and Abu Dhabi came out of my mouth. I didn't mean to. I have misspoken. I will go back to rereading my sporting and technical regulations. Mario what? is Italian, though. Yes, but Baku is the Mario... Uh, the Super Grand Mario Grand Prix. Grand Prix. But, like, he's... Because, a... because Baku has that corner. That's 11 meters wide. It goes right past the castle. And it's the castle wall on the side. And Princess Peach is in the castle. Yes. Okay, then. We're sure of it. Well, why why would it be just Princess Peach? Why not like Princess Daisy or Princess Rosalina? I, I, I don't know because I played Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong had Princess Peach. That was Pauline, Mom. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Moving right along. So. How exactly did you graduate high school? 
<laughs> anyway. Qualifying. Yes. We had Charles Leclerc with that amazing lap. Yes, he did have a good lap. Only to then have a heartbreak on the very last seconds of his final lap where he was going faster. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he would have held pole, but he was going faster and instead clipped the corner coming out of the swimming pool or or coming into the swimming pool chicane, um, which broke his front suspension. And then as Martin Brundle says that at that point, you're merely a passenger to the scene of the accident Mm -hmm. because that's, I mean, no control whatsoever at that point. Um, we were discussing, just like everybody else, we're discussing whether or not Charles was going to get to keep that pole. The the f- first thing I want to point out is, yes, all of the drivers that were on that lap were royally ticked off in the moment mm-hmm. at what happened and the session being red flagged and then losing out on a fast lap there. Um, especially because way too many times, maybe twice, but twice was more than enough. We have had drivers pull shenanigans to in Monaco to screw up the vehicles behind them on their on their hot laps. That was a move that both Nico Rosberg pulled and parked the car to red flag the mm-hmm. the race when he got pulled. But it was also a move that Daddy Schumacher pulled. Yes. And those are not the only two. They're just the two I can think of off the top of my head. But when they're in that moment, the minute they heard red flags, you knew that every one of those people instantly thought somebody parked the car. How dare they? And there was initially, at least, on Saturday evening... There were the conspiracy theorists running around going, Charles hit the wall deliberately. Charles hit the wall deliberately. This, this was to hold on to that position. This was intentional. And I'm sorry. If, if you watch what happened and you watched, you saw the damage that was done to that car, that was not deliberate. And you don't hurt... To do it deliberately, you don't hurt your car. Well... The thing is, Charles Leclerc's response was, you know, if I was going to do it intentionally, I wouldn't have hit the wall that hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you go in park. Mm-hmm. Oh, I lost drive. Yeah. Is what you do. And, and uh, I, I think it was Ted Kravitz or somebody else said, you know, the, if, if you're going to do it, you do it at Raskas. The slowest corner on there, if you're going to hit the wall, you do it there. All right. Where you can just kiss it, mm-hmm. and you don't hurt your suspension, you don't risk your gearbox, you don't do anything else. You just kiss the wall, and you go, oops. Mm-hmm. Oopsie. So, last night, Saturday night, Max Verstappen was specifically asked about whether or not he thought Charles Leclerc should have to give up his pole because of this incident. And Max, sometimes Max is um very mature mm-hmm. he's not always there but but we've seen a difference in him max's response was absolutely not he didn't he said once you see the video and you saw what happened you can tell that wasn't deliberate it wasn't intentional that he put it in a wall he said 
he put it in the wall there twice <laughs> and had the exact same result in doing it. So he totally gets it and did not believe it was justified to take that pole position away from Charles. So there was that. We discussed the likelihood of whether or not he'd be able to keep it because of damage. Right. Whether it was chassis damage or more likely that the gearbox would get damaged. And of course, everybody went to Mattia Bonotto and said, so what's the deal? You're going to change the gearbox? You know, what's happening here? Noting a gearbox change was going to be a five grid penalty. Yep. Mattia said that Ferrari was not going to gamble with that gearbox. They were not going to put the car out on the grid in that pole position slot unless they were confident that the car was going to be just fine and that everything was working. So overnight, they did some level of testing. Mm -hmm. We don't know what they did. Possibly just the guy pulling the levers. And yeah, it seems to shift gears. So I think we're we're good. (laughs) Um, Well, they're Italian. So, you know, Guido went out there and put his thumb on it and (laughs) said it moves. So we know there was some level of testing that was done. Um, Obviously, the big test was um, not the formation laps, but the the initial, the reconnaissance laps Mm -hmm. prior to everybody heading out to the grid. And it was evident to Charles very quickly that there was a problem. Yep. Despite what it sounds like, what, what we initially thought, it does not appear to have been a gearbox issue. So what it sounded like to me was that they were worried it was a gearbox. They looked at the gearbox. They confirmed the gearbox was going to be okay. And everything was hunky-dory. But then they found out when he went out there, he's like, something's wrong, something's wrong. They go and look at it even further, and they discover that it is a drive shaft. Yeah, specifically it was an issue... On the left-hand side of the, the drive shaft, uh, Mattia Bonotto says the failure is on the drive shaft into the hub on the left-hand side. So it's not the gear problem, gearbox problem that they had. The gearbox was in- inspected the evening before, it had been reviewed, and the gearbox was okay for the race. So he actually thinks that what happened was completely unrelated to the accident because it was on the opposite side of the car. See, and I think it's a domino effect, but that's my uneducated experience. decision. So your thought is that because there's that sausage curb on the outside of, actually, no, it's the second turn on the chicane. It's on the inside of the second turn of the chicane. You think that because he clipped that curb, he damaged the, the drive shaft. I don't think so because that, curb gets hit quite a bit we had during the race multiple times including Lance Stroll not once but twice launching himself over that curb and so I don't think that that, was it so here's my theory based on absolutely nothing Mm -hmm. and my extreme skills in Formula One mechanics let's go with that Mm -hmm. here's my theory yes they could launch themselves over that curb pretty regularly with an intact vehicle my thought is that because it was damaged going in 
it hit the curb in a different way than an intact vehicle would have hit and thus caused other damage. Domino damage is what I would call it. Collateral damage. Domino effect. Yeah. It's Italian. Dominus. Oh, is, is that it? Okay. I, I don't think so from watching the video. It, it looked like the angle was about the same as what everybody else nailed that curb at. Um, but we'll know more in coming weeks. Um, on the question of whether or not Charles should have lost the pole position, um, somebody pointed out to Toto Wolf that, you know, in IndyCar and several other North American series in particular, if a driver has an incident that leads to ending a session or even just red flagging a session um, and pausing it, the driver loses their best two times. Okay. So that that was floated out there as possibly an issue. Um, I'm not sure if Formula One needs to go that route. Only because of the fact that we don't often run into a situation where and yes, I know it's happened at least twice, but we don't often run into a situation where the guy sitting on provisional pole deliberately causes an incident. And if they do, they typically do it on Monica, in Monaco. And also, um, th- during Q3, when this kind of thing would happen, um, drivers often tend to do one fast lap break, and then one last fast lap before the end of the session, and then that's it. There, if we were to get rid of their two fastest lap, they would just immediately go down to the bottom. There wouldn't be another lap for us to go off of. That's kind of the point, though. It, it's this idea of, okay, if you have suffered that much damage or you've, that you can no longer complete the session and you've impacted the running of the session... Your, your times for that session shouldn't count. Kind of what the point is. I, I don't know if it's a solution looking for a problem or for, if for, it's a little bit of an over... one, I think it kind of is. Or if it's a bit of an overreaction. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the fact that Formula One currently uses a standard of, is it a mistake? Mm-hmm. And while I think they should probably have harsher rules for people, like, parking it, you know, go down to Roscas and kiss mm-hmm. the wall and go, oopsie, I think they should be stricter about that to prevent this kind of a thing for the parking thing. But that's not what happened to Leclerc. That's, that's the thing. And, that, and that's why I don't and think that... Don't hold him in the same vein that we hold Rosberg in. Yeah. Or Ferrari, who decides that they want to give better track position to their favorite driver, so they break the brass seals or the the wax seals on their uh, their gearbox on the other car, so that they can move their person up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's never happened. <laughs> so, um, the other big story, big issue, incident. I guess incident's the best we've got from this weekend's race was the disaster of a pit stop that Valtteri had. Poor guy. 
And this was probably short of oh running a mechanic down and the car exploding. Um, this was probably worst case scenario for a pit stop here. <laughs> it really was. Um, okay, so if you didn't watch the race because you know it was boring and don't know, um, the wheel nut on Valtteri's right rear tire. Front. 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 I thought it was the rear. Right front. Right front tire was cross-threaded. Yeah. Now, what I didn't get in the commentary was, was it cross-threaded when the wheel was initially installed and this was an inevitability no matter what? Or did it get cross-threaded when they tried to take it off with the gun and then just made it worse because they wound I up... I think most likely it was when the tire was first put on. So this was an inevitably bad situation. Mm-hmm. So the tire gun goes on to undo the wheel nut it's cross-threaded and the torque and such then winds up uh just essentially they can't get the wheel nut off the axle so so two things happened and and you could actually see some of it in the slow motion replay one was the nut was cross-threaded and bound to the axle Mm mm-hmm but also, from the action of trying to break it free, I the stripped. actual ridges on the nut stripped. Stripped, and you could see the metal in, in one of the slow motion replays. You could see the sparkle in here. That was the metal shearing off. And at one point, one of the commentators, when they didn't fully understand that it was cross threaded, mm-hmm. was like, "You get a hammer and you just knock the thing off." But even that wasn't going to work because... the threads are gone at this point. The threads are gone. And they would have nothing to... What ultimately would have happened was they would have had nothing to put the next wheel nut on with. Pretty much. So, poor Valtteri. He was doing very well. He was very much in the pace. And I'm very sad that he lost out on his podium in Monaco. Yeah, this will be another one that I really want to see what the investigation reveals. Because remember, Formula One wheels, that wheel nut is captive within the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like your car where you take those lug nuts off and you got to make sure you put them aside and you don't bump them so that you. They're actually part of the wheel assembly. So, what happened that that wheel nut shifted? To allow it to get cross-threaded. Yeah. Because that ultimately had to have been what happened. I don't know. But I feel sorry for him. I'm going to send him a sympathy card. Okay. But instead we got a podium that put Max Verstappen, Carlos Sainz Jr., and Lando Calrissian Norris. All prior teammates with each other. Uh, Well, no. Because... Well, they, no. they all had a teammate connection, connection. because Lando was not Science te- is, the, is the connecting teammate. Right. Lando was never one of Max's teammates. Right. But Science connected all yes. of them. Yeah. It was very awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, it really doesn't surprise me that Carlos crashed Lando's interview with David Cothar. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> You know, I, you kind of half expected that entire podium to be a bit of a love fest because of the fact that... Well, yeah, half that podium because my understanding is Carlos doesn't like Max. 
Oh. Remember, they didn't get along. We used to talk about this. That's true. Carlos and Max don't get along. Although Carlos was really quick to come up and congratulate Max. And they were joking around a little. Maybe they've gotten better. Well, but at not least when teammates. they were on the same team, they didn't get along with each other. Well, maybe not being on the same team was healthy for both of them. Yeah. Plus, we all have noticed that Max has grown up a fair bit. We have, but remember, it was when they were teammates in Singapore when Max was told to give up a position to Carlos and he yelled on the radio, no, and told us that he would never do that because his, his dad would punch him in the balls. Exactly. Yes, yes, that is what got said. Don't get any ideas. Okay, then. <laughs> All right, we have driver news, don't we? We have some driver news. So first off, and I didn't know this was happening until the news broke, Alpine has already started talks with Esteban Ocon's management, i.e. Toto Wolf, um, to keep him beyond 2021, and they have said that they are not considering any other drivers for the team next year. That's outstanding, especially since Ocon's been outperforming uh, his teammate. Yeah, and even Fernando said that, you know, right now my best isn't enough to beat Esteban. Awesome. Which is huge. And and maybe Fernando's realizing that um, he's not the driver he used to be. That would be quite self-aware of Mr. Alonso. The other bit of driver news... And on one hand, it's unexpected, but there's a piece of this that I don't quite understand what's going on. So word came out officially that Lando Norris has signed a, quote, multi-year deal to remain at McLaren. Okay. That's all that's been confirmed. It's a multi-year deal. Okay. Not a two-year deal, not a three-year deal, not a five-year deal. A multi-year deal. Normally, they tell us how long these deals are going to go for. Maybe it's a two-year deal with options? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled that, that Lando's staying with the team. I, I think this is the best move for both of them. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Ricardo doing better. But I think this is a, good, this is a great combination. It's a good combination, and Lando is incredibly marketable for this team. Yes. I think the personality fit is such that, you know, we we cannot forget that Formula One is a business. Mm -hmm. And because Formula One is a business, it takes the right personalities in the right team. You know, Lewis is amazing for Mercedes because there's a great mix there. Well... One thing to keep in, and, and I would bet you it, it's not just Lando, but same thing with Daniel Ricardo. They are both good for this team under Zach Brown. Exactly. Not I, I not don't under. think that, that under Ron Dennis, this team would be, um, Lando Norris. Would not be a welcome under Ron Dennis. Yeah. No, too, too loosey-goosey. What? sort of thing happened between them that has led that to happen like why does ron dennis not like lando norris so ron dennis is not in mclaren or formula one anymore but ron was retired yes but ron dennis was notorious for a very strict there was one way the ron way to do everything 
and down to he kept the factory and the technology center at a specific temperature because that was what he deemed to be the most productive temperature. So if you thought it was too cold, that was your problem. If you thought it was too hot, that was your problem. There, there was a very specific way of doing things. There was a very specific image that he wanted the team to have and a very specific look that he wanted the team to have. And if the mechanics, if the drivers, if whatever didn't conform to what he viewed as the look and the method, they were gone. So having drivers like Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz Jr. and Daniel Ricciardo who want to have a lot of fun and joke around and not be serious all the time, that wouldn't necessarily fit with how Ron Dennis ran the team. Oh, so from what I can gather here, Ron Dennis would have been best buddies with Kimmy. Well, Kimmy drove for for McLaren for two years, um, and the team liked Kimmy, but he didn't always fit well into Ron's image. But Kimmy left because Ferrari called them. Oh, I I would have thought that with Kimmy and his emotionless. But it's not necessarily Ron's thing. wasn't necessarily a lack of emotion. It was a seriousness to the racing mm-hmm. a seriousness to the sport and he probably and i'm putting words in his mouth because for all i know ron thinks lando is the most awesome thing to have hit formula one but he probably would have said that lando is not serious enough yeah that he does That's not take thought. his job seriously and all accounts of kemi while he is very quiet and stoic he's the good time kid. In and around the track, he was mostly serious. Mostly. But he was the he, good time kid. Oh, he yeah. Was, but... I, I kind of just remembered. In one interview, he told a reporter that the only reason why he's in F1 is why not. Exactly. Yeah. And our last story. So a lot of going back to Barcelona. A lot of the complaints that came, you know, we heard it from Mazepin and we heard it from others that the the final chicane at Barcelona has probably outlived its usefulness. Oh. Um, and many are now saying that it is possibly more of a hindrance than a help. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of obstruction penalties and stuff like that around there. And, you know, somebody didn't like the fact that, that he could potentially have been instructed obstructing somebody else and he didn't want to get out of the way and, and follow the gentleman's agreement. But All he also doesn't believe in blue flags, so well, there, we don't like to listen to him. There's that too. There's other folks who have been complaining about the value or, or who have been questioning the value that is brought by the final chicane at, at Barcelona. Okay. So Michael Massey has said that they are looking at it. Um, the, the chicane's been there since 2007. It's, it's always been a bit of a, a contentious issue. Um, but he says that Formula One is looking at it as part of their final, their regular recertification processes of the track and determining whether or not it would make sense to keep it or remove it and what the impact is. 
Um, he does want to make it clear that it's not simply a matter of, well, we look at it and go make it go away. There are actual simulations and other things that they do to understand, or at least to try and understand the potential impact of a configuration change. Well, that's important. Mm-hmm. We don't want to just move some bollards around and suddenly decide, oh, that didn't work. Yeah. You know, by removing a heavy braking zone, do you take away a passing opportunity? Things like that. Or they're do you trying create to a passing opportunity? That's not necessarily a bad thing. No, but they need to know, are they taking one away or are they taking, are they adding one? Yeah. So we'll see what happens. We don't know if, it, if they're going to actually do this, but they're looking. So, as a reminder, there'll be no show next week. And then the following week, we plan on having a show. It'll be better. It won't. (laughs) Trust me, it won't. And on that note... We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.